Hi, everybody. My name is Rafa Lombardino, and this is Translation Confessional. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Researching in four languages. Throughout this season, I had a How I Learned series to talk about my working languages, English, Spanish, Italian, besides Portuguese, my mother tongue. I rank my languages in this order because of how I've added them to my list of working languages. So when I started working as a professional translator back in 1997, I only translated from English to Portuguese, that is, from my second language to my mother tongue, since I'm from Brazil. Once I moved to California back in the early 2000s, I started receiving requests in the other direction, from Portuguese to English. Spanish to Portuguese and English made the list by the mid-2000s, and soon I earned my professional certificate in Spanish to English translations at the University of California, San Diego Extension, where I started teaching translation classes a couple of years after I completed the program. By the late 2000s, I added Italian to Portuguese and English to my working languages and spent a month in Italy to improve my language skills in my fourth language. Because I've been working as a translator for 23 years now, the way I research my languages has definitely changed, considering the technology I had available then and what we have available now. Back in the day, I heavily relied on my Longman Contemporary English Dictionary. It was my most prized possession, and I remember buying it back in 1998 while I was teaching English as a second language in Brazil and completing the odd translation job here and there whenever someone came to the school where I worked and asked if anyone could translate something between English and Portuguese. I still have my old companion sitting in my bookshelf. I'm looking at it right now. Even though I rarely get to open it anymore, it's still an important part of my life as a translator and I'll never get rid of it. I also have a large Aurelio. Everyone in Brazil knows Aurelio, which some of us affectionately call Pai dos Burros or Father of the Dumb. <laughs> I carried it around when I went to take my ATA exams in both Portuguese and English, and it's the most trusted source I have for Brazilian Portuguese. However, I mostly look up words in Portuguese online these days, especially after the new spelling rules went into effect in 2016, even though this attempt to standardize the language in all Portuguese-speaking nations came in the aftermath of an agreement signed back in 1990. Still, it hasn't been successful in making approximately 270 million of us speak our language in a consistent way, given the wealth of diversity in our vocabulary across the Lusophone world. 
Nowadays, I only use paper dictionaries when I really have to dig deep. When I get something that mentions an old-fashioned word or expression in Portuguese, it's good to look it up on Aurelio and see its correct uses and variations. Sometimes a group of translator friends get into an animated debate about word usage, so it's good to have a reliable source to turn to and make our word-based decisions. Besides these two monolingual dictionaries, I have a Michaelis English-Portuguese dictionary and a couple of illustrated Oxford dictionaries too, one in each language, which help me out when I have to look up more specific terminology, such as the tools that we use around the house or parts of a bicycle, for example. For tricky translations and sayings, I turn to Vocabulando, which was put together by Brazilian translation legend Isa Maralando. If you work with Portuguese, you should definitely get yourself a copy of Vocabulando. While I was going to UCSD Extension and focusing on improving my Spanish to English translation skills, I acquired a lot of paper dictionaries to help me out. My main resources were the Oxford Spanish-English Dictionary, El Diccionario de la Real Academia, the true Bible of the Spanish language, Diccionario Panhispánico de Dudas, which is great at showing spelling variations, regional differences, and practical uses of Spanish, and this little crucial book that we call La Ortografía, which is a kind of style guide for anything Spanish. And because I needed to improve my slang comprehension, I also got some dictionaries in the Street Spanish and Streetwise Spanish series. I actually have a list of books and dictionaries up on my website, so my students can have a central location where they can find the materials I recommend. I'm adding some links to this episode's description if you'd like to check them out too. Well, like I said, even though I have a small bookshelf here in my office, nowadays I do most of my research online. And I'll tell you more about how I use electronic resources right after this. Are you ready to take the next step in your translation or interpreting career? Perhaps you're just getting started and would like to find out how to get more business from direct clients and agencies. Or maybe you're an experienced professional looking to diversify into an area such as voiceover or audiovisual translation, or even specialize by brushing up on your medical terminology. Whatever your needs, pros.com training has you covered. We offer interactive courses that will take you from A to B. In other words, taking a course will help you to acquire a new skill, one that is designed to enable you to get more work or to achieve more success. We also offer email support and group coaching sessions to help you along the way. One thing's for sure, it's not a journey you need to take on your own. The question is, are you ready to invest in yourself? Take action and start learning today. Your future self will thank you for it. Visit training.pros.com to get started. The internet was still somewhat in its infancy in Brazil in the late 1990s when I started working as a translator. As I mentioned in episode 24, Technology and Translators, I am pre-Google. Yes, it was invented in 1998, but I only discovered it in the year 2000. I remember a college classmate talking about this new site he had found out about. Since then, life hasn't been quite the same, has it? Google has indeed opened many doors to all of us, whether for professional or personal purposes. So much so that it's messing with our memory recall, right? But I digress. 
It was also in the turn of the century that I started using prose.com, not only to look for translation projects, but also to research terminology. To this day, I still use the term search page as a starting point when I'm looking up expressions or more technical terms. I say that I use it as a starting point because you can't quite trust it blindly, since any prose user can add terms to the database. Most often when answering questions from peers and trying to get kudos points for participation on the website, as they get their terminology answers picked as the most appropriate ones. Still, it's a good resource to brainstorm some ideas for more technical terms, or maybe those very idiomatic expressions that drive us crazy sometimes, especially because it shows the field in which those terms are usually used. Once I have a couple of alternatives that may fit my context, I bring those terms from prose to Google and expand my search, looking up variations of an expression, researching synonyms and antonyms, or even looking up images associated with the term in question, just to make sure that I'm getting the right equivalent that will fit my translation like a glove. When looking up terminology in Google, I make sure I always use quotes. That way, you can force the search engine to find results for that exact combination of words in that particular order. I also like using a key term to make sure the results I'm getting match the respective field. For example, if I'm translating school-related materials, I'll type in education, and then whatever term I'm searching in quotes. So the result I'll see will be more connected to that specific field. The same is true when I do not want to have something included in the searches. Let's say I'm translating something from Portugal, and I need to confirm whether the term is used the same way I usually see it being used in Brazil. I can type the term and then the minus sign to exclude, in this case, .com.br and .br, so I'll get more results from .pt domains, that is, websites from Portugal not Brazil. Another thing I do is make sure sources in Spanish are not showing up on my Portuguese search, and vice versa. About 5 to 10 years ago, I used to have four Google tabs open, google.com for English, google.com.br for Brazil, google.es for Spanish, and google.it for Italian. That was a good way to filter results in my working languages. However, since things have changed in the Google algorithm, results don't get quite as organized by language as they did before. And I know, you can change your language preferences in Google, but I found that it doesn't help me when doing multilingual searches. Otherwise, I'd have to go back and forth and keep switching settings several times a day, depending on what I'm currently working on. So, to avoid that, if I want to research the meaning of a term in Portuguese, I usually type the word and then add the equivalent of meaning next to it, thus using Google as a dictionary. Still, I can use the actual translation of meaning because it's spelled exactly the same in Portuguese and Spanish, with just a slight change in pronunciation, significado, significado, respectively. What did I have to start doing then? Well. I now type the word followed by definição for Portuguese or definición for Spanish. 
so I can get the proper definition in the language I'm interested in. Now, if I don't want a definition, but need to research the actual usage of a word, one trick I've learned from a fellow Brazilian translator, obrigada Val, was adding the word não next to the Portuguese word I'm researching. That way, I'll get results in Portuguese, not in Spanish, because não means no in my language, and it doesn't exist in Spanish. I talked about that fun fact in episode 8, no means no, remember? That way, there won't be any language contamination from Spanish in my search if I add no as a keyword. I also do a lot of research on phrasal verbs and prepositions in English. So it's great to see the number of results Google is able to find and use it as a thermometer for which variation is more popular for a given expression. The other day, my Google Chrome kind of broke and stopped showing me the number of results every time I search for something. I started panicking right away. It was like doing research in the dark. I asked my husband if he could still see the number of results on his Google searches, and he said he did. So I knew it wasn't something that Google decided to change without considering the side effects on language people like us. Luckily, all I had to do was update my Google Chrome, restart my computer, and voila, the number of results showed up on my searches again. Still, popularity doesn't always indicate the most trustworthy option, right? When I realize that the results I'm getting for an English expression, for example, are coming from domain names from countries where English is not spoken as the main language, then there's a high chance that I'm getting some uh, translationese in there. In most of those cases, it's good to switch to Angram Viewer and compare two different ways to say the same thing in English and check which one is more popular. All that without interference from another language. Finally, in the age of technology, social media, and private messaging, we can rely on experts to pick their brain in the blink of an eye. You can reach out to that relative who works in a given field and ask, how do you say X? To get the term you're looking for right from the mouth of someone who may use that word or expression in their professional life every day. Well, sometimes it doesn't work quite perfectly if it's a field that relies heavily on English, such as marketing and advertising, for example, but it's good to get an expert opinion without having to pay for distance calls on the landline. And while I don't like using my fellow translators and interpreters as a safety net, because that's just not good practice at all, I do enjoy our occasional terminology discussions and learn so much from peers from different parts of the world. I sometimes even post a little poll online if I'm trying to check whether the terms I've used growing up are too regional in Brazilian Portuguese. If only my relatives and former classmates from my hometown can understand a certain word to mean exactly what I have in mind, Odds are that it's not going to be understood across the board by people from other parts of Brazil. So it's best to make it fit a broader audience and dig a little deeper. How about you? 
Uh, were you an old school translator who had to rely on paper resources? Did you already start translating in the age of technology? What resources do you like to use and how do you do your research in all your working languages? Send me a message or leave a voicemail on the podcast page to let me know what you do to research terminology throughout your workday. Send me an email at rlombardino at wordawareness.com or leave a voice message on my anchor page. If I get enough feedback and voice messages, I can go back to the subject and post a special podcast episode with everyone's opinion on this very same theme. By the way, my anchor page is anchor.fm slash translation dash confessional. I look forward to hearing from you. Stay tuned for weekly episodes and subscribe to Translation Confessional through your favorite podcast app.